Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. edition of the show before the show podcast which we could say for like four straight weeks because uh there's a bunch of minor league all-star games uh not all of them this week but uh we'll, we'll get to use that designator hello sam hello tyler happy all-star week number one to you as Same it were to you as well uh yeah we've had a bunch of them this week and we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast he's sam dykstra in new york city my name is tyler mon uh we are going to have an all-star caliber conversation coming up here in just a little bit with a guy who put himself on the baseball map on the bat flip map on the social media map uh chris betts of the tampa bay rays organization is set to join us coming up here in a little bit we had a lot of fun talking with chris uh about his bat flips plural uh heard around the world and uh it's this is a fun week midwest league all-star game florida state league all-star game southern league there's a whole bunch of carolina league happened last night there's a whole bunch of these showcase events and if i think 10 years ago you were to have these conversations not a whole lot of minor league baseball fans would be in tune with the fact that all these things are going on but the way the the prospect community has come along and and social media and how many people pay attention to the minor league calendar in full now it's really cool how into it people get when it comes to all-star game season yeah, yeah, and and I think initially they were just kind of ways to give guys awards, and we saw this a couple times last night. There were five different All Star games last night. You m- mentioned a couple of them: uh, Southern League, California League, Carolina League, and then the two Class A leagues, Midwest League and South Atlantic League. It, it's usually a chance to just give somebody something, and then you, they get called up. And there are a number of guys. Tyler Freeman being one of them, Cleveland Indians organization found out. You know, he's going from Lake County uh, to the Carolina League after the game essentially he's not even going back to the captain's roster just going straight on to the the carolina league um and and there were also chances for you know hometowns and uh each of the markets in the league to kind of get a chance to have everybody come to town for one game a year and and it's a chance to get inflated attendance and that type of thing but now it's taken on a little bit more of a national attention to the point where and we talked about this a couple weeks ago pitbull was supposed to be like the yeah, what happened with that? Yeah, didn't show up. Did not Come show on. up. By far the most disappointing thing about this All Star season. Uh, he, according to what I read, he claimed he was like, there. You were, book me to do what now? He yeah, well, that that was what he said off the record. On the record, <laughs> um, he said that there were weather related issues. Apparently, there it was completely dry in South Bend on Monday or over the weekend when the uh, concert was supposed to happen. Uh, also, he was flying out of Florida, where there were also no weather-related issues that we know of. Um, so something that seemed really cool was actually really disappointing. The games themselves, very fun, I would say. The the ones we, that we did have were very cool. Um, we mentioned Chris Betts. You'll hear him talk about this. I don't want to spoil it too much, but if, you, if you've been on our site, if you've been on Twitter, the internet at large, uh, you know Chris Betts won the Midwest League Home Run Derby on Monday. Uh, and celebrated by just absolutely just chucking his bat. It wasn't even a bat flip. It wasn't nope. – I, I think somebody called it a bat heave. Tyler later is going to call it a bat explosion. Uh, so many ways to describe it, which is a lot of fun. You can choose your own at home. It's like the home run derby Mad Libs. Uh, and then he got to do it again the next night because the Midwest League, smartly I would say, uh, decides the winner of its – all-star game if there's a tie after nine innings via a home run derby um so each team picked one slugger uh and he obviously was the pick after he wins the home run derby the night before 
and they have 90 seconds to hit as many home runs as they can. I think all he had to do was hit two. The second he hit the game-winning run, the entire team, the East Division team, came running out to him. And there's this great photo we have on the site from Kurt Rallo uh, where they're all waiting for him to chuck the bat. And it's like this celebratory – it almost looks like a ceremony in a way. Uh, it was just so neat. It was everything we celebrated about baseball, everybody just having fun, all these guys from different organizations, different teams, opponents every other time of the year uh, coming together was really cool. One other one that stood out to me real quick was the Southern League All-Star Game. Luis Robert is somebody we've talked to or talked about a lot on this show and on the site this year, obviously. Uh and we'll talk about this again later. He's now the number five overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, he's, because he's got multiple tools. Uh, he's showing off a, a good power tool this year. We know he can run. We know he can be a good defender. Uh, but for him to show that off in the Southern League All-Star Game, a showcase essentially, uh, and an exhibition, that doesn't count for anything else. But he was the Southern League All-Star Game MVP because he hit a double and a triple. Uh, he has 24 of those this season between the two adding in 12 home runs between his time at double a Birmingham and class a advanced Winston-Salem. Uh, so it's really neat when they are showcases, there are one games, anything can happen in one game. But when we see talented players take those opportunities and run with them and, and show everybody, whether it's somebody watching on MILB TV or somebody in the ballpark, that game was in Biloxi. Um, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm so talented. This is why I've had such a good first half. Uh, to bring that into that one game is really, really fun. And, and um, you know, it, it was just neat to see Robert uh, show off in that way. And hopefully we get to chances see him do that again in the Futures game and maybe even at higher levels at some point this year, maybe even the majors. Lord knows he's hitting everywhere he's going. Uh, but to see him do that on one night was really neat. Um, did I miss anything? Was there any other like big news out of the All-Star games that stood out to you, Tyler? No, I don't think so. Um, does that technically count as strike one? Did we just blister our way through strike one already? I, I, I think our transitions were so seamless. <laughs> it's almost like this is our job. It's- it just like it, uh, you know, that was strike one. Three strikes for this episode <laughs> on our All-Star game standouts from the first week of, uh, of All-Star action. Uh, fun fact, there is only one season uh, uh, stateside uh, short season league, which does not feature an All-Star game. That is the Appalachian League. Uh, but here's the remainder of the schedule four all-star games across minor league baseball triple a all-star game is coming up on july 10th in el paso uh june 25th the texas league will host its all-star game in tulsa july 10th the eastern league all-star game will be at the diamond in richmond virginia uh and the short season leagues are the only ones after um those ones the uh august 6th northwest pioneer league game is in boise idaho this year and then almost at the end of the season the new york penn league like two weeks before the season actually ends they'll host the uh uh, their all-star showcase in Staten Island, uh, which I would assume one Sam Dykstra will be attending. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I, I think I'll just go one ride. borough over. Yeah, I think I'll. Yeah, if it's an excuse for me to ride the ferry, you'd know I'm going to be there. That's true. There's a a lot of really good all-star game logos out there in 2019, but that one for my money is the best because it's got the uh, the Staten Island ferry uh, in the middle of the logo in orange, and it's uh, I don't know if that's a, a Todd Radom special or who put that together, but New York Penn League, whoever you got. Uh, very nice job. Uh, so, strike one wrapped up. Strike two this week in the show before the show's opening set. Uh, as we near the midway point of the season for everybody, uh, we're starting to get some separation in who to keep an eye on for the rest of the year uh, with the way they have impressed in the first half of the season. Sam, you took a, a look at the Class A and Class A advanced levels of who's really been uh, standing out at the uh, the first 70-ish games of the year. Yeah, well, full credit where it's due. I had Class A advanced. Chris Tripodi, one of our coworkers, had Class A. But we're we're doing this series called Heads of the Class. We did this last year. We're, we're continuing it again this year. Uh, I implore you to look at it. Uh, we're going to roll them out closer to the All-Star game. So that's why we had Class A and Class A advanced this week. We'll have AA and AAA further down the line when those leagues actually have their All-Star games, or all of them have been completed anyway. Um, but in, in, at least in Class A and Class A Advanced, it was kind of easy to put these lists together, at least in talking with Chris and and, and putting together the high A list myself. Uh, you know, we grouped it by most exciting hitter, most exciting pitcher, best team, uh, second half breakout, something to look forward to in the second half. And 
coming soon somebody who might join that circuit at some point. Uh, I, I, I don't want to touch on all of these individually just because a lot of them are going to be pretty obvious. Like I said, Wander Franco being the most exciting hitter in Class A, that's no surprise. Uh, Jaron Duran being the most exciting hitter at Class A advance after the guy flirted with 400 for most of his time at Salem, no surprise there. Mackenzie Gordon, Grayson Rodriguez, the two pitchers in those leagues. Uh, what I do want to point out real quick is best team for the Class A advance was the Down East Wood Ducks. Uh, when I wrote this, the Down East Wood Ducks were the only full-season Meyer League team with a winning percentage above 700. Uh, they went 50-20 and 20 in the first half. That's a 714 winning percentage. Absolutely crazy. Uh, the reason why we haven't talked too much about the Wood Ducks is, you know, the Texas Rangers are kind of a farm system a little bit in flux right now. There's some real, you know, high-end arms to like in that system. There's a lot of toolsy players as well. In terms of a collection, it's not incredibly deep, and I think it's going to get deeper in this draft uh, for sure, and I think we're going to look at them a little bit differently at the end of 2019 than we did at the beginning. But Down East may not have been an, on our radar quite as much as some of the other teams that we were looking at coming into the year, and yet to see them go 50-20 and 20 in the first half uh, is really special. Big reason for that is their pitching has been phenomenal. Uh, they had 12 shutouts in the first half. They had a Carolina league best 2.58 ERA. No other staff in the league had a lower ERA than 3.12. Um, so they were basically half a run better, at least in terms of earned runs per game, uh, which is really neat. Jason Barr, Sal Mendez, each had ERAs below 2.25. Uh, Tyler Phillips, the number 13 prospect in that Texas system was really good during his time in Down East. He had a 1.19 ERA and a 0 0.90 whip over six starts. Uh, they do have some good hitters for sure. Sam Huff got called up there from Hickory. Uh, he was in that conversation for most home runs in the minor leagues for a while. Um, he has really good power, really good arm behind the plate. He seems to have taken well to the Carolina League so far. Leody Tavares, uh, longtime top prospect in that Ranger system. The shine has come off him as he's continued to struggle to hit, I would say. Um, but he's done a better job of that this year. He's repeating Carolina League. I think that helps, but he's still relatively young. He's still incredibly fast and a gifted hit, uh, gifted fielder, excuse me, in center field. Only 20. He's turning 21 in September, so he's still relatively young for that level. Um, not a huge thing that he had to repeat it, but he, he is hitting 294 this year with a 745 OPS. So the numbers are creeping up and he's making the correct adjustments and, and doing what you need to do if you are going to repeat a level like that. Uh, so down Eastwood Ducks, pay attention to them in the second half. They, if they can keep this going and, and don't lose too many players like they did, you know, Tyler Phillips, uh, got called up soon after he was dominating through those first couple weeks. If they can keep this group together, I'd be really interested to see what they can do in the second half. Uh, one other thing to look out for, and we'll go back to the Class A full season level, uh, for second half breakout, Chris chose Mariners outfielder Julio Rodriguez, somebody I really like, a guy who dominated in the DSL last year, and you don't see this happen very often. They pushed him straight from the DSL to Class A West Virginia this year, the Seattle Mariners did. Uh, he had some injury problems beginning of the year. He had a hairline fracture in his left hand that kept him out for two months, but he was doing incredibly well for the power before that. He's come back. He still looks pretty hot. Uh, incredibly gifted. He's a top 100 prospect now. In a system that the Mariners, slowly but surely, I think they have six top 100 prospects yeah, now. Yeah, they do. Uh, you know, we talked for forever about Jerry DePoto gathering talent, and we, Lord knows he did that, you know, especially in the trade with the New York Mets with Edwin Diaz and bringing in Justin Dunn and bringing in especially Jared Kalenic. But uh, Julio Rodriguez is kind of a pop-up prospect these last couple of years, and he's hitting 357 with a 963 OPS in 16 games. Uh, one homer, five doubles. You know, if he can kind of keep this going in, into the second half, we're going to be talking about him as one of the best outfield prospects in the game by the end of the year. Hopefully he stays healthy. I mean, hairline fracture was a freak injury. I think he was hit by a pitch. But uh, I, I would be really interested to see what he can do in a second half because, you know, he's 18 for this entire year. Uh, he would basically be a high school senior in the draft. Um, and he's already dominating Class A in this way. Can he keep it going? Will be really neat. I think he has the tools to make it happen, um, but it's up to him to show that over a longer stretch in the second half. So keep keep an eye on the Down East Wood Ducks in Class A advanced and Julio Rodriguez in the Seattle Mariners system in Class A uh, as we approach here 
both of these leagues kind of coming out of their all-star breaks here uh, in the days and weeks to come. And if you are ever uh, in Kinston, hit up uh, Chef and the Farmer or King's Barbecue. Strike three this week comes from the Detroit Tigers system, where the top prospect in that organization, right-hander Casey Mize, uh, exited his last start early for Double A Erie, and after just two and a third, uh, departed that game. Looked like it was right shoulder soreness. That was the original uh, description of that injury, which I think came out that night. And then uh, on Friday. The uh, Tigers released a statement through the Tigers PR Twitter account saying, quote, earlier today, right-handed pitcher Casey Mize underwent an MRI, which was reviewed by Dr. Andrews and Dr. Lemos, and both agreed the films revealed some minor posterior shoulder inflammation. Casey's going to be placed on the injured list with right shoulder inflammation. Uh, Casey Mize's season has been absurd this year. With Class A advanced Lakeland, he made four starts, 2-0 record and a 0.35 ERA. Things are supposed to get more difficult when you climb levels. He has now made nine starts for AA Erie. He is 6-0 in the Eastern League with a 1.21 ERA. Uh, but this obviously is an unwelcome development for a guy who, for a time, we were talking about maybe being in the conversation of making his big league debut this year. Yeah, no, I mean, shoulder injuries are never fun, and, and you always get worried. And I, I know we were worried, uh, when, especially after that pitch he threw, where he kind of motioned to the dugout said, hey, come out here. I think he it was supposed to be a fastball, and it was in the 80s. Um, and he knew, obviously, nobody knows better how his body is feeling than he does um but when the stuff drops off that much it's like uh oh what could have happened here and just to hear that it's inflammation i think is slightly reassuring we don't have a timeline on when he'll be back obviously um but inflammation is much better than something that could have been structurally wrong which is something you hear all the time with, with shoulder and elbow injuries is that it requires surgery inflammation just needs rest it, i'm sure it needs some stretching and it, it'll need um, some work in that department but it's not a tear it's not you know something structurally wrong with the shoulder that needs to be rebuilt it just it's going to take some time for him to rest it up and get it back to the point where he can be throwing that fastball back in the you know mid 90s again um yeah you mentioned everything uh, what's disappointing about this and how quickly he got off to such a strong start in lakeland and erie and they were kind of monitoring his innings early on um but it, it's gotten to the point now where he's thrown 78 innings in the first half i'm not saying they've overworked him but that that's a pretty good workload for anybody never mind somebody who's pitching in their first full season um so hopefully this is just kind of a minor thing he won't be on the shelf that long. Uh, watching Casey Mize starts has been one of my favorite things this year. Watching uh, opposing hitters get consistently frustrated by his splitter is really, really fun. And uh, and hearing him talk later about like, hey, my fastball command isn't quite where I wanted it to be. And yet I threw a no hitter. Uh, it was hysterical but also shows you the type of pitcher he still thinks he can be. He's not just looking at results. He's looking at what am I doing out on the mound? How can I can improve? Um, so hopefully we get a chance to see Mize back on the mound soon, and hopefully this is just a minor blip on what should continue to be a quick ascent to the Motor City. That is three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. And coming up, we are going to head to the Tampa Bay Rays organization where it was a fun uh, and crazy a uh, couple of days for Chris Betts, the catching prospect and the former 2015 second round selection who uh, bat flipped his way into all of our hearts on Monday and Tuesday in the Midwest League. Chris Betts joins the show from the Bowling Green Hot Rods next. Well, there was a guy in the Midwest League who uh, made headlines across the country this week and uh, as of this recording evidently is uh, waiting on an interview request from a much bigger outlet than the Minor League Baseball podcast as well. But we got him first, Chris Betts of the Bowling Green Hot Rods and the Tampa Bay Rays organization and uh, and one of America's bat flip heroes this week joins the show. Chris, what's going on? How are you? Nothing much, guys. Just uh, hanging out in a hotel room in South Bend, Indiana, enjoying life. <laughs> So tell us about the last few days. If you are uh, are unfamiliar with Chris's week so far, uh, Chris won two home run derbies basically in like 24 hours. On Monday, the actual home run derby for the Midwest League uh, and unleashed. I don't even know if you can call it a bat flip. It was like a bat eruption, uh, which made the rounds rocketing around social media. And then on Tuesday, wins the actual Midwest League All-Star game with a home run derby victory because uh, that game tied 
three, three through nine innings, went to a sudden death derby, which should be the way that all all star games finish up if they're tied through regulation nine innings. But this uh, to win one is pretty cool. To go two in two days is ridiculous. What have the last few days been like for you? Uh, it's been it's been pretty ridiculous. We uh, we finished up in Lansing and, and came straight here, and then uh, just a typical all star break couple of nice uh parties and a bunch of amenities at the hotel and, and then show up for the home run derby against a bunch of really bad dudes and uh to be able to win that first one was was wild and then you know that second one i was walking up there like there's no way this happens again so to get it in there again and, <laughs> and get another win and and win the mvp without really recording in that bat was pretty wild too so <laughs> it was a fun weekend <laughs> Let's go through uh, the first one first. On Monday, you hit 24 homers to win the home run derby. Um, how do you approach a home run derby? Like, how do you pace yourself? Because over the span of however long you're going to be in it, uh, you're going to get exhausted. I think everybody probably remembers uh, Josh Hamilton in 2008 at Yankee Stadium when he hit like 20 in the first round, and then he ended up not winning that one because you exhaust yourself after a little while. How do you pace yourself over the course of a home run derby? Like, take us through your approach on Monday. Um, so on Monday, first round, we, you know, we got a timeout in each round. And for the first minute and a half of that round, I was probably swinging the bat harder than I ever have before in my life and was not pacing myself. And when I called that timeout, I, I thought I was going to pass out. And, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of people think that those timeouts, when your teammates come up with the Gatorade towels and stuff is all for show. But, uh, but actually Grant Witherspoon came up to me and just as blunt as all can be, uh, was just like hey man you're gonna lose this thing right now if you don't stop swinging so hard like what are you doing out here and i was like i was like is it that bad he goes you're making eye contact with me before you hit the ball like you're you gotta slow down you're not in shape for this and and so slowed it down and started swinging a little softer and then ball started flying so i gotta give credit to to mr witherspoon there on that one yeah, and, and then take us through Tuesday because, like you said, you didn't get an official at bat. Not that you didn't play. You were the starting catcher uh, for the east side, um, but you walk in both of your plate appearances, and then how quickly do they turn to you knowing that it's a tie game, we're going to a home run derby, hey, we happen to have the winner. I mean, how quickly was that decision made yesterday? Yeah, so so Buddy, Buddy told me, before the game he goes hey, would you be up for another home run derby and I was like I mean I don't think I'm I don't know if I'm allowed to turn it down now so uh, <laughs> that's when he told us all he, he told us all in the clubhouse um that if the game was tied we weren't playing extras and we were going to go straight into a sudden death home run derby so about the eighth inning rolled around and I was like my goodness this game is tied I'm gonna have to do this whole thing over again uh I hunted down the trainer got a got a nice full body stretch because I was stiff as a board just sitting there for two hours um <laughs> loosened up took some swings in the on deck circle and just let it rip yeah and, and as Tyler mentioned uh on Monday you, you had what he called a bad explosion some people called it a bad heave <laughs> on Tuesday you, it seemed like the entire team was waiting for you to just chuck it into short right uh first off which one did you prefer doing which which of the two bat flips heaves whatever did you prefer? And second, what do you call it? What what would be your term for what you did to celebrate each of those Derby wins? Yeah. For, uh, in terms of which one I prefer, probably the first one. Cause I just, I hit that last ball to win. And I just blacked out, man. I just, <laughs> I, just I, I, I don't even, I don't know how it got out there. I don't know why I did it. I never even thought of that before. I've never thought it's like, I don't, I don't even pimp home runs to begin with during the season. You know, usually I just put my head down and run. That's who I am. And when it left my hand, I was like, Oh no, what have I done? Like, <laughs> why'd you do that? Why'd you, what if that ball doesn't go out? <laughs> um, and uh, so anyway, so that first one was awesome just because it was so spur of the moment. And then the second one was just really cool. Cause I think they were all just expecting it and they knew I only needed two homers. And, and as soon as I hit the second one, they were just all screaming for it. So you got to give people what they want right there. Right. Yeah. I was going to say like on Monday after the Derby happens and leading into Tuesday, it seemed like there was obviously a big social media reaction and a lot of people were tagging you in tweets and celebrating with you. And it seemed like you were celebrating with them. Um, what was that moment just to like see yourself, you know, be on SportsCenter, be on all these different social media channels? And, um, yeah, how did you kind of internalize that going into the, the game on Tuesday? 
It was it was wild. I got back into the clubhouse, and you know, Wi-Fi isn't the greatest when you got thirty guys in there all on their phones. So I just showered up after I was talking to my family and some people out on the field, and and you know, got out of there and went to the next whatever's on the schedule after the first home run derby. Um, and my mom is at my mom's at uh, what's it, at a uh, my sister's enrolling in college, and she's so she's out with her right now, and she shot me a text and was like, "You are blowing up on Twitter." I was like really like for that and, and and got back and sure enough it was i had good tweets i had bad tweets at me i had people that were upset with me you had I, bad tweets at you people oh, were mad at you for bad yeah. after winning a home run derby <laughs> yeah and i'm oh, sitting there i'm like oh man i really hope this this bp thrower doesn't drill me tomorrow then if these guys <laughs> be so upset <laughs> god forbid i wear 35 in the ribs <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, it was, I could it was leave super a, cool. a slight bruise. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think I'm up almost a thousand followers on Instagram. So thanks to your guys' Instagram page and Cut Four. But but no, man, it's been good. It was definitely a uh, a wild wild ride last night. When Chris, the the second one happens on Tuesday night. Are you thinking in the back of your mind like, all right, I got to do it again? Yeah, it's kind of. After the reaction that it got the first time, yeah. I'm like, eh, I mean, why not? I could use a couple more Instagram followers. <laughs> no, it was it was still it was still semi spur of the moment um, during the home run derby. I was just trying to hit homers. I wasn't even thinking about the bat flip. And then that winning one goes, and everyone's going ballistic. You know, instead of my seven Bowling Green teammates, it's the the twenty to thirty all stars on my team going crazy. So it was even it was even louder and and more exciting. So it was fun. It was a really good time. I was I was pumped to do it we're in this era now of let the kids play in this, this constant debate over the merits of people being able to show emotion on a, a field of athletic conquest when they do something amazing or like being robots and being boring. Now that you've been on maybe a side of it that you didn't anticipate, you said you're a guy who ordinarily doesn't pimp anything, doesn't pimp home runs during your regular season, nothing like that. How do you view the, the conversation around that? I mean, maybe it's a, a serious, more serious topic to have about a, a lighthearted moment, but like now, now that you've been on the side where you had, you know, wet blankets on Twitter trying to, to dump all over you for being happy that you won a home run derby, how do you look at it now? I mean, honest, honestly, like I don't. If you come into the game hitting, you know, a buck fifty and you only have one homer through seventy games of the year, and you hit a home run and you flip your bat and you, as long as you're not yelling at my guys, I don't. I really could care less what you do. I mean, congrats, man. <laughs> round ball, round bat is not an easy thing to do, so more power to you. Um, yeah, I really, I've got no problem with it. You know, as long as you stay with your guys and you're not yelling at other people, you know, just do your thing, throw the bat, run, walk, jog, who cares? Um, it's like you said though, it's, it's not, it's not the easiest thing to do. So it's, uh, it's worth celebrating. You know, you got guys, if you go out there and you hit 30 home runs over 160 games, that's, that's like a, that's a crazy year. And that's still, that's still pretty few of your plate appearances. So it, it still doesn't happen very often. Um, I know I still get absolutely ecstatic when I hit homers and excited. And I just, I just don't show it that way, but I also, I'm not opposed to it at all. Um, and I think most of, most answer. of the people in baseball really aren't anymore either. It's just, it's just an ego check when someone bat flips on you, but you're going to be on the other side of that at some point offensively or defensively. You talk about things that aren't easy, and uh, there's a stretch of your career that, that fits well with that. 2015, you had Tommy John surgery. 2017, you had another elbow surgery due to bone spurs. Um, and now two years later, and this is after being a second-round pick in 2015, you're four years into your pro career. You've already undergone two elbow surgeries, and I know you said uh, after the game that there are not a lot of organizations that would stick with a prospect through two elbow surgeries. Um, to be here now, be in this moment, and look back on all the stuff that you've been through. What what does this week mean in terms of how rewarding it is with everything that you've endured so far? Uh, it means everything, man. Like to to go through, like you said, those two elbow surgeries, and then you know it's not just the surgeries; it's the the months of rehab and you know the weeks immediately following of of being allowed to literally do nothing but get in the car and go to the field and go home. And you know once you get out of your brace, you still got to wear it when you go to the grocery store. Like there's just, it's just little things like that, that really wear on you. So to be back and to be performing at a, at a pretty high level and, and hanging with these guys and, you know, 
like I said, sharing a field with all those guys on the all-star team last night was just, was awesome. And it's, uh, sometimes I catch myself just kind of sitting there thinking like, dang, like that was a, that was a long road. It's, I'm still not all the way back. I still obviously have a, a lot of things I'd like to accomplish and, and plenty of areas I can get a lot better in. But for now, it's just, it's really gratifying. And it's nice to, to kind of have these three days to just soak it all in and take a break from the, from the grind that I'm actually really grateful to have instead of, you know, just going to rehab every day. So, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been humbling. It's been, it's been everything. Words, words can't really describe it. It's been, it's been awesome. It's been really special. And obviously you, you earned your place on the Midwest league all-star team and in the home run derby with this first half that you've had from Bowling Green. And one of the things that sticks out to me in the first half continue on the theme is your home run production. You've hit 12 home runs this year. That's two more than you hit all of last year in 14 fewer games. Obviously health has something to do with that, as you just talked about with Tyler. Um, but what's, what's allowed you to play a bit in more into your power. I know that's something you've had in your game since you were drafted, but now it's starting to bloom a little bit better. How has that been able to happen so far through the first half with Bowling Green? Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the Rays actually, sent me to Australia this off season to play. And, and, you know, their kind of thing with me was, you know, we want you to keep producing and we, and we want you to do it efficiently and, and, and just produce. And so I went over there and I experimented with things here and there and just found a couple of things that worked for me and just really trying to focus on doing the same thing every day and, you know, just being consistent. And so this first half has been productive, I think because of that, because I got a lot of reps in the off season and, and, and slightly made up for a lot of the time that I've missed in years past in terms of development. Um, but yeah, it's been good. It's just trying to feel as comfortable as I can every day, no matter who's out there, no matter where we're at, or if it's 30 degrees out or like it's starting to get now, if it's 90 degrees out. So it's just, just trying to be the same guy every day and, and do the same thing and just, just be uh have some production up there and, and help the team win. And I'm sure Tyler will have more questions about the ABL specifically in a second as a former broadcaster down there. But uh, in terms of what you unlocked during your time in the ABL, you said you were experimenting with a bunch of different things. What did you kind of settle on or what did you learn about yourself getting those at bats that you are still putting into play now here, you know, halfway through June? Yeah. I, uh, initially in Australia, it started with, I couldn't figure out why, uh, why I was starting to feel really comfortable with two strikes and like why, you know, I was finding a lot of barrels with two strikes where in hitters counts, I was kind of getting myself out and and doing some uncharacteristic things. And so I just, with what the race said of like, don't be afraid to try some new stuff out there. Um, just watched some video and found some things that I was doing with my two strike approach and, and felt that, you know, if I'm hitting doubles and homers with two strikes and I'm, I'm not hitting as many, with less than two strikes, maybe I made my two strike approach to be my regular one. So that's kind of like what transitioned for me. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of good guys on the team and, you know, our, our hitting coach was our right fielder who won the MVP of the league and just having guys who, who had been there, done that and, and picked their brains and, you know, they're out there to have a good time. That's their big league. So it, it's all about winning and, and getting better. And so, it was it was really good. I, I found a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, just not being afraid to try things really helped me out out there. Chris, as a as a catcher, um, from a, a perspective of obviously the the extra innings that you get when you get to go somewhere for the the winter ball commitment and and then coming back over here, what are the things you know that position? It seems like you've got so much more to be working on, and that's not to take anything away from anybody who's an infielder or an outfielder, but there's so many different aspects to being a good catcher that you've got to focus on while you're also trying to digest all this offensive stuff. What uh, either in Australia or this season uh, with bowling. Green, what are the things you've kind of focused on trying to get better with, trying to improve upon, or just trying to bring into your game defensively? Uh, de definitely just kind of an overall thing on the catching front for me. There, there wasn't really – last year there wasn't one thing that I was off the charts in, um, but also nothing that I was, you know, terrible at. So just kind of trying to stay well-rounded um, and get better. And, you know, we have a – we have an awesome catching coordinator. This is the second, second catching coordinator we've had since I've been here. And, and, you know, they've both worked awesome with me and taken the time. And I try and be a sponge with that stuff because that's something that hasn't always come easy to me. And, and I don't think it ever will. Um, so just definitely putting in the work. But 
I mean, honestly, man, everything, receiving, blocking, throwing, the whole, the whole nine yards. And this year, especially learning how to communicate with these, these pitchers a lot better. And, and they've helped me out a lot by communicating as well. They're not afraid to talk about it and just hash it out and figure out what works and what doesn't. Being in the Rays organization, um, this is uh, one of those years where it's like, oh, it does not appear that the Rays are going to be going away at all. Um, it's the They are the organization that everybody around baseball, I think, wants to count out, and the Rays refuse to be counted out at every level and at the major league level. And right now they're, they're keeping pace in the division, two and a half back of the Yankees as we record this. How cool is it being part of a, a system where there is so much, it seems like, accountability and so much emphasis on, on all the little things to be successful and more often often than not it really breeds success durham wins the international league it feels like every year lately uh there's tremendous success pretty much at every level what is the the identity of the Rays system as a, a person who's inside it uh like i mean like you said it's obviously about development and doing the little things and but i mean they just love to win you know our coordinators come in and whether it's a hitting coordinator or a pitching coordinator or, or whatever it is no matter how the game's played if, if you win that game they're excited like they want to teach us how to win, and and I feel like throughout the organization we we win really well, like you said. Um, but also just just the little things, you know. We we focus on a lot of small things. Everyone here can hit the ball hard and, and throw the ball hard and pick up the ground ball and catch fly ball. But like comes to comes to really small things. All our, all of our coordinators and and people involved with us just kind of blows my mind. The stuff they come out with and and the little things to make you better and, and everyone who comes in or has a hand on you is just really dedicated to making you the best baseball player you can be. So it, it makes our job way easier knowing that we got a uh, really reliable staff behind us. All right, man, we'll start to wrap things up, but we would be remiss if we did not ask you about the, uh, the brand new top overall prospect in baseball, according to MLB pipeline with the updated top 100 released uh, in your shortstop, Wander Franco. Tell us about what it's like being around him on a daily basis. This is a guy who uh, is still obscenely young. He is 18 years old uh, and has done everything throughout his, albeit brief, but uh, his minor league career to really put himself uh, in the spotlight is one of those dynamic talents. Um, 58 games this year, he's slashing 326, 396, 514 as an 18-year-old shortstop in the Midwest League. What's it like being around him on a regular basis? What are the keys to his success in the way you guys see him as a teammate? Uh, I mean, there's there's so much about him. First off, I mean, every night, every game, he's the best player on the field. Like, he does something every night where you're like, oh, well, that's never seen that before. Like, <laughs> good for Wander. I can't do that. <laughs> um, you know, last night, he, I think he swung and missed twice on back-to-back pitches, and and we're kind of sitting and dug out the Bowling Green guys, like, well, what now? Like, I've never seen that one happen I almost before. gasped <laughs> myself when you said that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, honestly, a perfect example is, you know, I see him at 10 a.m. yesterday in the hotel lobby, and, and he greets me with just this enthusiasm and stuff, like he hadn't seen me in weeks, and then, I run into him at 1.30 in the morning in the lobby when I'm going down to get some water, just absolutely exhausted. And the, ki- the kid's just as tired as I am, and he does the same thing, just as excited to see you. And, and he's, just, he's a great teammate. He shows up to the field. He works every day. And there's no denying that he's just – he's incredible. He's a really special man. Like, he just, he just does it, everything. He just does it really well, and he hustles, he plays hard, and he's just a really fun guy to be around. All right, well, we'll kind of tie this all together then. Speaking of teammates you've worked with, um, you know, you, you've handled a really good Bowling Green staff through this first half. Matthew Liberatore just joined you guys. Shane Boz came halfway through. Shane McClanahan's now up with Charlotte, but he was there for most of the first half. With some of the pitchers you've worked with so far this season, when there's more diverse pitching profiles, when the guys are throwing harder, um, what is it like catching these guys and working with these guys and trying to mold them as pitchers while also sitting back and being like, this is primo stuff. What is it like to work with that as a catcher? It, it makes my job so easy. They, these guys, they show up, they have a game plan. They know what they want to do. They know how they want to do it. And, you know, I tell them all the time, shake till you get what you want because they, they have their plan and they know their stuff so well. I mean, you know, Libertor goes out there, it's four plus pitches and, and Boz has, has three and, you know, McClanahan throws a hundred with two also plus pitches. So it's just, it's just the easiest probably, a ball catching job that you could have. And I'm lucky enough to have it because all those guys have just, 
you know, they hit their spots, they, they do what they want, they throw what they want, and they get outs, and they get outs quick. It's it's really, really fun to watch. And like I said earlier, they just they communicate really well. If something's working, if something's not working, they say it. So it, it's, it's awesome, and, and it makes me enjoy catching a lot. It's, it's really nice. I'm just distracted going back through your Twitter feed and looking at all the tweets about the uh, the bad throw. And you can do that as well at ChrisBets26 <laughs> on Twitter if you want to find him there or over on Instagram or wherever. And you too can uh, get lost and mesmerized by this feed full of that toss over and over because it is remarkable and gorgeous. And the uh, the header photo on, on Chris's Twitter page now, which was the iconic photo that came out of that home run derby winning shot uh it's a pretty pretty amazing picture and uh and a pretty amazing week for uh tampa bay rays prospect chris betts who joins us from south bend indiana and getting set for the second half of the season with the class a bowling green hot rod chris congrats on this week man and and uh enjoy the the rest of soaking this up before you get back into the the daily grind and uh keep rolling the rest of the way best of luck thanks for joining us thanks guys i really appreciate it Segment number three this week, Benjamin Hill uh, is traveling at the moment, so we are going to break down the brand-new Top 100 from MLB Pipeline, updated for the midseason stretch, uh, and we got a whole lot of movement and shakeups uh, across the Top 100. Obviously, a lot of graduations, which have really defined the starts of the season. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Eloy Jimenez, Fernando Tatis Jr., um, all of the guys who we talked about at the beginning of the season as like, oh, man, these guys are are not in the big leagues at the midway point of April slash May. What's going to be going on with them? They didn't really make that conversation last too long with us because they've all been up in the major leagues for quite some time now and they've all graduated so uh with that a new top 100 wander franco is the new top overall prospect in baseball as we alluded to in our interview uh with chris betts last segment he's followed by casey mize who we talked about in uh three strikes today the detroit tigers right-hander franco the shortstop in the Rays organization uh third ranked is mckenzie gore padres left-handed pitcher fourth ranked is joe adele the outfield prospect for the los angeles angels of anaheim who has played in only 18 games so far this season season uh, after being hurt at the beginning of the year hamstring and ankle injuries that he suffered in spring training but came back six games of class a advanced inland empire before jumping back up to double a mobile uh he's been great since he returned uh luis robert with double a birmingham we've talked about him a lot so far this season those are the top five um brendan rogers of the rockies at six royce lewis of the twins at seven Bo Bichette of the blue jays at eight all three shortstops and then i'm gonna give you to 11 because the next three are all in the same organization that is houston astros right-hander forrest whitley houston astros outfielder kyle tucker and fellow houston astros outfielder jordan Alvarez uh but this is a an interesting shakeup for some of these guys and for others kind of where you expect them to be after I don't want to say treading water but keeping their stock we'll say for the start of this season yeah and that's one of these things that it's not it is an update for sure and I know pipeline will do another update I think they shake up all the the 30 lists as well later down the line don't quote me on that but um, I know they do a more significant midseason update a little bit further down the line as those guys get further away from drafts coverage and are able to dive back into the minors. Um, but what stands out to me here for the most part is I think what you, you mentioned there, Tyler, is like Forrest Whitley we know has had a really rough first half, still considered a top 10 prospect, A, because the sample is pretty small, B, pitching in the PCL this year has been notoriously difficult, um, but see, you know, we, he, his track record of having really, really good stuff is uh, is longer than his struggles. And that's going to reflect here more in the rankings. And you mentioned Whitley being nine, Tucker being 10 and Alvarez being 11. I think out of those three, we can all agree that Alvarez has had the best year. Indeed, he's yeah. actually with the big league club right now. And guess what? Hitting as many homers there as he was hitting it at AAA Round Rock. That being said, Tucker has more tools. He, he has more things he can do on the baseball field than Alvarez, who is probably going to be a DH only uh, going forward. Uh, Whitley has multiple pitches. So even if the results aren't there, those aren't going to be reflected in these rankings just yet. And maybe not ever just because of what we know these guys are capable of. That's the whole point of rankings. We're looking at future. We're trying to project what they're going to be in the future, not what they are just right now. Um, so Alvarez, has shown enough this year, for sure, to jump 11 spots right now to be the number 11 prospect in baseball. That's extremely difficult. The fact that he's still number three in his organization is more of a testament to what Kyle Tucker and Forrest Whitley can 
be than any knock against uh, Jordan Alvarez. Um, some of the other ones that have had big jumps that I want to point out real quick, Grayson Rodriguez, uh, in this update alone, I think he jumped into the top 100 as graduations happened. But with the way he's been able to pitch this year at Class A Del Marva, uh, he's jumped from 90 a couple of days ago to now number 54. The Orioles, for a long time, have struggled to get quality pitching from their farm system. Rodriguez represents an opportunity there. We know this is a new regime. There, there's going to be different pitching philosophies and how to groom pitchers. Uh, but Rodriguez has been – we mentioned the head of the class thing before. He was the uh, the pick for most exciting pitcher of all of Class A in the first half. That's reflected here, again, because of stuff. He does a lot of different things that have – kept class A pitchers or class A hitters, excuse me, guessing. And that's what results in this jump here. Um, Austin Riley is now number 20 overall. He's not going to be there for that long, obviously, because of the way he's taken to the major league level. Um, some of the other guys to, to jump pretty high. Logan Gilbert, we mentioned the Mariners have an improving system. He's now just one spot below uh, Justin Dunn in that system. Justin Dunn being 68, Logan Gilbert being 69. He was one of their top picks last year. He jumps 24 spots. Ryan Rollison in the Colorado Rockies system. He's at number 70. He jumps 22 spots. Daniel Lynch uh, kind of got, I won't say lost, but in a draft last year, for the Kansas City Royals, in which they went college pitching heavy early, Brady Singer was the one everybody was pointing to. Now Daniel Lynch looks like he could have almost an equal ceiling to Brady Singer. Uh, and wouldn't that be quite the development for the Kansas City Royals if they really are able to churn out multiple starting pitching options out of one draft alone? Uh, that would be really interesting. Tristan Cassis jumps in the top 100. Anthony Kay, who we talked to a, a couple weeks ago about his breakout. He's now at AAA. Uh, Syracuse, he's now a top 100 prospect. Um, so check this out. You know, these are all MLB pipeline. These aren't our rankings. We we're kind of under the same umbrella. We use their rankings. Uh, I think these will get weirder. A well, not weirder. I shouldn't say weirder, but uh, these will change again down the line as more information comes in and we see more of these guys, especially as they get challenged at more difficult levels. Um, but it has been interesting to see. You know, it's guys who you think might have a difficult first half. There are still believers in those players just because they had a rough April, May, and June doesn't mean it's time to sell stock on these players. Uh, you know, Royce Lewis, I would put right in there with Horace Whitley. Um, difficult first half, but he's still the number seven overall prospect in the game um, because he's made some adjustments in the first half that don't seem to be working, but the athleticism, the hitting ability that he's shown before, he should be able to make the adjustments back uh, in the second half. And we'll be keeping a close eye on him and many other players on this list. Uh, now that we know exactly where they are going to the second half of the minor league season. MLB pipeline has got a, a great graphic, uh, which they tweeted out to accompany the update to this list, which has uh, the last ranking for each prospect, their current ranking, and their either climb or drop by how many points or how many places, I should say, uh, in the top 100. And um, there are a lot of guys on there who you kind of feel for because injury has really robbed them of where they were to start this season. Hey, Luz Luzardo with a small drop, uh, AJ Puck with a small drop. Brent Honeywell is a guy who you really, your heart goes out for, obviously, with the, the injury that he suffered trying to come back from Tommy John surgery that required surgery again, and he's going to be out for another year. Um, but yeah, like you said, there are a lot of those guys who have fallen off a little bit or kind of held pat that you sort of feel like it's just kind of the lull before they bust out again. And uh, some really interesting numbers to dive into there if you want to get a little more into the granular elements of this top 100 uh, for MLB Pipeline. So that is uh, segment number three for this week. We'll be back to wrap up the show, tell you what to watch on MILB TV next. As we do every week, almost, I say that, but we didn't do it last week because we had such a loaded episode, uh, we're telling you here in our final segment what you should keep an eye out for on MILB.TV coming up this weekend. You can get your subscriptions right now. Uh, short season leagues have started. we got a ton of short season games from across the country uh, on MILB.TV as well, and some really good productions also. You kind of feel like, oh, well, I'm tuning into a short season game. I don't know how good the production value is going to be. Some of the short season teams do a fantastic job uh, with MILB.TV, but Sam, what are you keeping an eye on this weekend slash into next week on Mil TV. Yeah, so one that I can't give you a specific date on it because it's a starting pitcher and sometimes things can get weird. Um, 
in terms of when starting pitchers are going to go next. But if you get the chance and you can see when it's announced, and I'll try to put this out on my Twitter account when I find out exactly when he's going to take the mound next, watch Davey Garcia uh, in the New York Yankees organization. Uh, Davey Garcia, number four prospect for the Yankees. He's a five foot nine, 163 pounds. That is what he is listed at. Obviously incredibly short. But his stuff is really good. He's got a plus fastball, a plus curveball. He has this season 100 strikeouts in 59 and two-thirds innings between Class A Advanced, Tampa, and Double A Trenton. In his most recent start, which happened one night before we were recording this podcast, he struck out 15 batters in six innings. Six scoreless. It was not, you know, he recorded 18 outs. 15 of them were via the strikeout. Uh, this combination of stuff and like frame shouldn't work and yet it does for him which is fascinating i think the fact that he is five foot nine kind of dings his profile because you worry about is it this going to be able to hold up for long stretches uh you know is he going to be able to start being that short and that small um this is not like a pedro martinez situation where it's like oh he's kind of on the small side he's smaller than even that uh but davy garcia lights him up with the best of them he actually leads minor league baseball and i i set the innings requirement here for 50 innings so you could mess around with it and i'm sure find somebody who is above him in this category but still he leads the minors with a 40.3 strikeout percentage he struck out more than two out of every five batters he's faced this season between tampa and trenton it's getting to the point where he's kind of being must watch he's not top 100 yet i think he'll become that the Yankees right now are in such discussions about starting pitchers. Everybody around here is talking about they need a starting pitcher, they need a starting pitcher. I'm not saying Davey Garcia is going to be that, but if they are involved in trades, everybody else is going to be asking about Davey Garcia. So if you're in another organization that's looking to sell, maybe you know, maybe you want to watch him to see like, hey, you know, if you're in the San Francisco Giants and Madison Bumgarner might be on the market, maybe Davey Garcia is somebody you get. You're going to want to watch him pitch for Trenton, probably Monday or Tuesday. They're playing at home against Reading. I think that's when he's probably going to go next, either Monday or Tuesday. Uh, but or if you're a Yankees fan and you want to see who's up next and see if Davey Garcia should be untouchable, you're going to watch want to watch him anyway. So watch Davey Garcia any chance you get and I think that'll come up early next week uh again I'll try to put out a tweet or something to let you guys know when that's confirmed on when he's going but keep your eye out for Monday or Tuesday uh Tyler what do you got your eye on yeah, we mentioned uh, Angels prospect Joe Adele, who is back and healthy and has climbed all the way up to the number four prospect spot in the top 100 on MLB Pipeline. Uh, he and A Mobile will be home this weekend taking on Jackson, and that series from Hank Aaron Stadium in Mobile, Alabama, will be on MILB.tv. Uh, through 12 games back at the AA level, 357, 438, 595, the numbers for uh, for Joe Adele, who's got 15 total hits back at the AA level, seven doubles and a homer among those 15 hits. And uh, just a, a really exciting talent to watch. And one of those guys who were really happy is finally healthy after he missed the first uh, really couple of months of the season uh, after the, the leg injuries that he has suffered in spring training. So Joe Adele and the AA Mobile Bay Bears uh, final season in Mobile will uh, be on MILB.TV this weekend hosting the Jackson Generals. And that will wrap it up for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, you can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. If you would like, Sam is on Twitter. He is at Sam Dykstra MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, until next week, enjoy uh, – Uh, some all-star game recaps and all that kind of stuff and uh, we'll talk to you next week for another episode of the show before the show from MILB.com